So I'm a map guy. I, I like to know where I'm at at any given moment. I like to see the big picture. I like to see where the dot is on the map, where I am. And so if you're that way at all, then let me help you get your bearings straight on where we are as a church right now in our teaching and preaching this year. We're in our fourth installment of Grace throughout the year. We did Grace and God back in January and February. Then in the spring, we did Grace and Family. Then we did a book study. And then this past fall, we've done Grace in the Church. Now we're doing Grace and Others, Grace in Your Neighbor. And we started off three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, I guess, today, with doing the Good Samaritan. And then Daryl last week talked to us about service. And for the next two weeks, I'm going to talk to you about a topic that I know Christians get kind of defensive at because we're kind of afraid of it and all that. It's a topic of evangelism, how you and I can be a bit more intentional and clear in sharing God's grace with those around us, the good news of the gospel. And, and I guess I just want you guys to know before I pray that I get it. I, I, I was a Christian 10 years before I became a pastor. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I understand the inhibitions that all of us have and even the fears uh, when it comes to evangelism. And I hope to take, tear down some of that today and tomorrow because I think we need to see it in a little bit of a different light uh, than we've seen it. Just get our hearts right and get our actions right, and, and I think God would use us in much more profound ways. So hang on to your pew over the next two weeks. I think you're going to be in for quite a ride, and let's begin now by bowing and praying, all right? Father, I, I thank you that at the end of the day, you teach us that what you're all about is your grace, that you love us, but because of our sin, there's this thing called justice, but you have decided to mete out your justice through giving us your grace most seen in your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as we rally around your grace continually still here at this church, as we plumb the depths, Lord, as best we can of what your grace means in our lives, that, God, you would help us become better Christ followers. I pray you would help us become more the people you want us to be. And as we're going to see today and next week, God, help us to even care about those around us in such a way that we might even be able to share verbally the hope we have in Christ with them. And God, we all have people in our lives that need Jesus. There's no doubt about that. So show us the way, we pray, today and next week. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So let me begin by asking you all a question. It's a really simple question, but we got to wrestle with this this morning. And that is, let's just see a hand raise. How many of you would agree with the statement that everybody matters to God? Raise your hand if you agree with that statement. Gosh, just about every one of you. It'd be hard not to, right? I mean, you'd consider yourself anti-biblical if you were to say that not everybody matters to God. And, and, and certainly the Christian church historically has believed that everybody matters to God. But what I want us to wrestle with this morning is do we really? I'm not doubting your motivations. I'm not doubting whether you really think you believe that everybody matters to God. But when it comes to your heart of hearts, and I'm pointing the finger at me too, and the way that we act toward those around us that don't know Christ, and even ones that maybe do know Christ but have backslidden a bit, do we really believe that everybody, and I mean everybody, that's probably the key word, around us matters to God? And if so, do they matter to us in a similar fashion? These are important questions to ask. Because you see, today, if we did a straw poll in any church in America or any Christian college or anywhere else, my guess is every hand would go up saying that everybody matters to God. But I'm not sure that people really know what the implications are of admitting that. 
I'm not sure we really know as Christ followers what it really means when we say that everybody matters to God in both its theological depth as well as its practical outpouring and what God has revealed in the Word about his heart and his mind in this area, as well as then what the implications are for you and me as we dare talk about something like grace and our neighbor. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to just add a little bit of intentionality to this idea of grace and talk about this idea of everybody mattering to God. And we're going to do it in two parts. We're first going to do a little theology lesson. I know you guys love that, but this is good for us on why God says everybody matters to him and what the richness is in theology behind that. And then we're going to get real practical and wrestle with a couple of implications for our lives very specifically on what it means that everybody matters to God. And so first, let's do our theology lesson. If you brought a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 15. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament, about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Feel free to grab it. And we're going to open up to Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 14. And I'm going to read up through verse 22. This passage, I believe, deeply and powerfully communicates this truth that we're proposing today that everybody matters to God, as well as gives us the clear reason as to why. And so as I read this, follow along or look up here on the screen, Paul the Apostle is speaking, Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Now, i got to confess to you folks, there's a lot in that passage that if you don't know much about the Bible, and specifically Old Testament history, you're immediately lost. I mean, he's using words like priest and minister and Gentile and offering and sacrifice. I mean, those aren't words that you and I use very often in 21st century modern-day contexts. And so what I want to do to understand this a little bit is give you what the main point of this, I think, is, because you're going to find it very simple, and then spend a few minutes unpacking this so that you can see the theological depth here that God, in which God can say, everybody matters to me. So, so look up here on the screen. Here's your main point. Here's what I think this passage is saying when you reduce it to its most simple context. And that is that in the gospel of Jesus, it's revealed that indeed everybody matters to God. Why does everybody matter to God? Here's your answer from now on for forever. And that is because God has revealed this so in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That what happened 2,000 years ago forever changed history, not just the B.C. to A.D. stuff, 
But in the gospel of Jesus now, God has revealed forever and very clearly that everybody on planet Earth matters to him. Now, in order to see this in the passage before us today, it's imperative that you and I understand a bit of the history behind Romans 15 here, a history that, believe it or not, goes back thousands of years, even before this was written, to an early point in the Old Testament. You see, after God made humankind in his image in Genesis 1 and 2, and after humankind fell into sin in Genesis 3, y'all remember Adam and Eve, God, believe it or not, still had a plan on how to bring his wayward creation back to himself. Kind of like a good parent who has a plan to try to deal with a teenager that's gone off the deep end. God had a good plan for how to bring humanity back into the fold, into covenant with himself. And that plan centered around a small unknown nation, the nation Israel, that God decided to choose in order that he might display his personhood and his goodness and his redemption, salvation plan in and through. And so look at how it says it here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Moses is speaking here. Look up here on the screen. He says, For you, Israel, are a people holy to the Lord your God, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh's Pharaoh, king of Egypt." Now, what it's simply telling us there is that God chose Israel to be kind of the display case, kind of the spotlight on them, that he might reveal his purposes in and through them. And as we're going to see in a minute, even purposes for the rest of the world. So, so as you guys know, most of the events that take place in the Old Testament, from the Exodus event with all the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, to eventually Israel being founded as a nation, to then the divided kingdom and the united kingdom, and then the exile, and then all the prophetic writings, all of that centers in and around Israel for the simple reason that God chose Israel to display his glory, to display who he is to the whole world. Now, what is important to notice is that it was at this time of the founding of the nation Israel that the Bible, interestingly, starts to make a distinction between two people groups, the Jewish people and then the rest of us, what Romans here calls the Gentiles, or in the Hebrew, it was goyim, meaning Gentile. And the Gentiles, what you simply need to know, are everybody else. Anybody not a part of the nation Israel, what in its most neutral phraseology, the Bible referred to as the nations. So you got Israel, and then you got the nations, the Gentiles, quite frankly, the rest of us. And, and here's what you need to understand as to why God did what he did in choosing Israel and parceling out all the others. This will be very important for our understanding of Romans 15. And that is that God's plan in the Old Testament was to reveal himself and his glory in and through the nation Israel so that in part all the other nations, the Gentiles, this goyim, might observe and see, and through God's dealings with Israel, they might see who the true and real God is. Make no mistake, when you read the Old Testament, you sometimes wonder if God actually has a plan for the rest of the world. He does. 
His plan was to choose Israel, and through them being the display case in the Old Testament, they would then have all the other nations see how good and awesome God is, that they might salivate after and be drawn to him. And so look at Exodus 34.10, if you don't believe me, a very revealing passage. It says, And he, God, said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any other nation. And all the people among whom you are, meaning all the nations around you, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And then Leviticus 26, verse 45, it says, But I will for their, meaning Israel's sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, here it is, in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. And so don't miss this, folks. God's plan was to reveal himself as well as the way to himself in and through Israel who would eventually be a light to all the other nations of God's holiness, his love, his justice, and his compassion. And this is, by, this is why, by the way, that when you had Gentiles in the Old Testament visit or live within Israel, they had certain rights. They were introduced to Yahweh, to Jehovah, in certain wonderful ways. There were laws commanding hospitality for Gentiles. There were laws commanding asylum for Gentiles. There were laws commanding that Gentiles had to be treated fairly in work. They could even inherit land as far as the, or as late as the exile. It tells us in Ezekiel 47, even Jews were commanded to pray for Gentile leaders. Are you starting to see? We sometimes get a bad rap of the Old Testament that was all about Israel against everybody else. I don't see it that way. God's original intention was that he would set up Israel to be a light, a draw to other nations for who God really is. And through his dealings with Israel, people would start to understand God. Now, with this brief background then, we're ready to understand Romans chapter 15. Because fast forward in your mind now to, up, to, up to 2,000 years ago, and you might be able to be see, or begin to see the very radical thing God did in bringing Jesus that literally changed the way people viewed God and understood that everybody matters to him. So look again at verses 15 to 16 and then verse 18 of Romans 15, and you'll see what I mean. Paul says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace, of God, because of the grace given to me by God, now here it is, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Then skip down to verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Folks, i got to tell you, I know some of you are going to have trouble believing this, but contained in these few verses, there on the screen behind me, are one of the most powerful and impacting truths ever to hit this planet. It's true. I mean, it's telling us here that in the gospel of Jesus, God has now fulfilled his next stage in his plan for this world, namely to include everybody else in the whole world, i.e. the Gentiles, in the opportunity to now have a covenant with God, which simply means a personal relationship with God. 
I mean, you can't help but notice here in this passage all the Old Testament imagery and wording there. It mentions ministers and Gentiles and priests and offerings. But don't miss, it's doing so in light of the Gentiles. It's doing so in light of anybody that's not of Israel. It's doing so of anybody that doesn't yet know God. I mean, that's the point that Paul is trying to make here, that God is making through him, that he now has brought two groups together, the Jews and the Gentiles, all under Jesus Christ, in order that they might receive God's blessings in Christ. And so Paul will say, make it even more clear, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, if this doesn't blow you away, I got nothing else. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Whoa. So now, those who are just bystanders in the Old Testament, kind of onlookers to God's glory and goodness, are now called fellow heirs, members of the same body, and you and I should ask why, how, because of Jesus that when Jesus came on the scene here 2,000 years, he came as God, come in the flesh, to die on a cross for our sins, the penalty that you and I should have paid, he paid, so that we might know God. And what you need to know is that this is open to everybody. Everybody matters to God when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're going to deal with this in a few weeks from now, but I love it when non-Christians say to me, you know, Christianity is so narrow. You ever had somebody say that to you? Christianity is so narrow because you believe that you have to come to God through Jesus. And I love to say two things to them. Well, one, please know I didn't make the rules, so don't shoot the messenger. I mean, this is God working in salvation history for crying out loud. I mean, this isn't something we made up. This is God's movement throughout all of history. And he decided to give us Jesus. That's why he's the only way to God. It's how God has revealed himself to us. But then the second thing I'd like to say is that it's not narrow at all. It's open to everybody. Everybody has a chance to come to God if they will look to his son, Jesus Christ. It's the most inclusive thing on planet Earth. I mean, Christianity says, come ye, come all. Anybody that wants to know God and come to him through his son Jesus is welcome. Everybody matters to God. And so this is why Paul goes on to say in verses 20 and 21 of Romans 15 that now all those who were once really far away from God and had no news of him now have a chance and opportunity to come home. And even Paul the apostle, who was Jewish himself, was so fired up about this truth that he gave his entire life so that others might know that everybody matters to God. And so as we begin to now apply this, what I need you to see is it is through these, it is through these deep and rich historical acts of God over thousands of years, beginning with the calling of the nation Israel and culminating with the inclusion of Gentiles in Jesus' day, that you and I can clearly and safely say everybody matters to God. Let's state it clearly. From Billy Graham to Howard Stern. From Mother Teresa to your mother. From Daryl Del Hussein to every other Daryl that's ever lived on this earth. From you to your neighbor, to your friend, to your coworker, to your service provider. I mean, please know, that's what it's saying here. Everybody matters to God. 
And when Peter got so fired up about this, the Apostle Peter, he wrote in his second letter, and I quote, God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You know, I looked up that word all in the original Greek, and you know what it literally means? All. All people. God doesn't want anybody now to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody not to know him. He wants everybody to come home to him. Why? Say it with me. Everybody matters to God. Let's take another run at that. Everybody matters to God. I hope you believe that. Because as we now turn to applying this for a few moments and our time remaining, I want to share with you two key issues. One of them you're going to like, one of them you're not going to like. But we have to wrestle with this. The one you're not going to like is the first one I'm going to share with you, and it's the response that I find many Christians have. It's our wrestling match with this particular truth that everybody matters to God. But then I'm going to share with you the response that God wants us to have that involves this thing called intentionality that I think you're going to like. It'll be a good friend to you. So first, the response that some Christians have at times to this truth that everybody matters to God, and that is simply that sometimes we got a problem with God's plan here. You ever notice that about Christians? Sometimes, it's true, we have a problem with God's plan here. And what specifically is the problem we have, you ask? Well, namely, that when we're honest with ourselves, we don't like the fact that everybody matters to God, that everybody is now included in this plan, because some of these everybodies get in our face, some of these everybodies offend us deeply, and it's hard to palate that one, that right now they make it on God's everybody matters to me list, And that secondly, even worse, they might accept Christ, and now we have to like them and love them as a brother or sister in Christ. I mean, let's just be honest in the house of God here this morning. I find that Christians, even me, at times tend to think that way. We give lip service to the fact that everybody matters to God, but we struggle in our heart of hearts when we start putting names to it. And what you need to know is that this is nothing new. I mean, when Jesus first inaugurated this Gentile inclusion some 2,000 years ago, and when Paul first began writing and teaching about it, in one sense, everybody was blown away and amazed at God's inclusive grace here. But then they were also a bit thrown at the sloppiness of God's grace that would involve the opposing team. It's true. There were Jewish leaders in the first century who loved the fact that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth, and when they found out that this was going to involve Gentiles, they said, wait a second. And then there were Gentile leaders, Roman and Greek leaders, in Jesus' day that embraced Christ and His grace. But then when Paul shared that God still had a plan for the nation Israel, they said, you've got to be kidding me. And so you had these two groups that we just did the theology lesson on that had trouble, they had a love-hate relationship with God's grace here, wanting to believe that it included everybody, and yet not wanting to maybe believe it included those people. And though you and me today might pride ourselves on our, in our multicultural, very tolerant society, that we don't actually hate an entire group of people like Jews or any other ethnic group, let's be honest that most of us have our own private list of individuals that we have written off at those who at the very least we don't want anything to do with, And at the very most, kind of bothers us that they might be on God's you-matter-to-me list. It's true. And our list is as varied as the hairstyles we have and the clothes that we wear. But one thing is true. We all have our list. And so your list might include a family member that you don't get along with. Or a neighbor that you can't stand. 
or a coworker that lives a totally decadent life and then rubs it in your face, or a fellow student who teases you about being a believer, or a politician who has totally opposite views than you do, or a radio personality that flies in the face of your values, or a media celebrity who is rich and famous and godless, or an author who writes trash. And yet I ask you, how do you know that they write trash? Because you read it, but it bothers you nonetheless. And so the reality is you and I got all people in our lives, some of them are very personal to us, some of them are public figures, that we have a hard time believing that they really matter to God. Because quite frankly, they don't matter to us. And though the gospel certainly does not say that we need to drop our values, we'll talk about that in a few weeks, God's not saying drop your values. He does say, however, that we need to never forget that the same people that drive us crazy are the same people that matter to him. And at the end of the day, you're going to be glad about that because when you drive God crazy, you still matter to him. When you sin greatly and go off the deep end, you still matter to him. But when that ugly behavior that you thought you licked 10 years ago rears its ugly head again and those around you are extremely disappointed in you, you still matter to God. And so the fact that you matter to him, he simply says, extends now to your neighbor And your neighbor matters to him as well. And he just wants us to grab his heart here. And I know how some of you think. You think, well, Jamie, this is a good sermon. Obviously, you believe this. You're passionate about it. This is a good thing. But i got a lot of things going on in my life right now. My biggest concern is not that there are certain people in my life that don't matter to me, and hence I have trouble believing matter to God. But I would simply say in response to you (laughs) that I think it's a bigger deal than you think it is. I, I think the fact that we have a lot of Christ followers out there today that really don't get and act, that everybody matters to God, hurts us more than we think. Because think about it. If you really don't believe that everybody matters to God, then you can't love your enemies like Jesus taught you. You can't turn the other cheek. You can't love your neighbor as yourself. Quite frankly, at the end of the day, if you don't believe that everybody matters to God, you cannot become the kind of grace-filled, truth-filled follower of Jesus that he wants you to be. The stakes are big here, and they're higher than most of us think. And I guess I would just let you guys know in a moment of self-confession that I wrestle with this every day. I mean, I'm human. I'm a lot like you. I got my list of people that drive me crazy that, quite frankly, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't want anything to do with. And some of them are in this church. Go figure that. I mean, that's a difficult place for a pastor to be, somebody who's called to love everybody, and yet I wrestle with this in my heart of hearts. I remember I was confronted with this about Oh, six, seven years ago when I was halfway through my pastorate in Cleveland. As many of you know, I come from a small town just outside of Cleveland called Chagrin Falls. What blows me away about Chagrin is that it's a town of 5,000 people. Our church is bigger than my hometown. So go figure that I'm pastoring this church. But I was back pastoring my home church there for six years. And I had grown up in this town since second grade. And, and I knew everybody in the town, and I had a rather traumatic experience when I was in fourth grade in this town. It wasn't awful, but it was traumatic enough when I got beat up by a third grader. Now, I knew some of you would laugh. You're losers, but I did. I got beat up by a third grader, and the guy was bigger than me, so I had to give him a little bit of credit, but it was a traumatic thing at the time. I was, I was walking home from school. This kid said he was after me for a long time. He was hiding behind a tree. I couldn't run very fast at that time. I eventually became a very fast runner, but I couldn't run very fast at that time. He caught me, and literally he pummeled me. Today it would be on the YouTube. It would be called bullying, but back then it was just that Jamie got the crud beat out of him. 
and I went home kind of licking my wounds. Now, and I got to tell you, after that event, it was the only time I'd ever had a physical altercation growing up, but after that time, I, I didn't like the kid. I never wanted to see the kid. I had nothing to do with him. His name was Tim. And so I went through junior high and senior high, just not wanting anything to do with the kid. He was a bully to a lot of other people. And eventually I graduated high school and went on my way. But then 20 years later, I came back to my hometown of this town of 5,000. And now Tim was living back there too after getting out of the army. And he was driving a pickup truck doing handyman home repairs. And I'd heard through the grapevine that, that Tim had become a Christian. That bothered me alone. But anyways, I heard through the grapevine that Tim had become a Christian. And, 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 and I'd also heard that he'd hit some real rough times. He wasn't very much following through with his Christianity, that uh, his, his marriage had gone south, and he was getting into a lot of drinking and some other things that people can fall into. But I got to tell you, and I don't say this to, to, to just try to be too honest with you, but I mean, when I heard all that stuff, I thought, well, that's fine. I probably won't have to interact with him, and so we'll just let sleeping dogs lie. Thirty years later, I'm still hanging on to third grade or fourth grade, and yet I thought, no big deal. Catch what was going on in my mind. Everybody matters to God, except I really don't want to practice it with this guy. That, that was my mindset. Then, as God works, about a year later, I was having lunch with my buddy Larry, and Larry was this guy who, he knows everybody in town. His dad was a builder in town, and, and Larry just knows everybody. And Larry's a Christian guy, and he's actually the guy who led Tim to the Lord. And he said, do you know Tim so-and-so? And I said, yes. And he said, you know, I think it would be good if you got with him. I said, why? He said, well, he's going through a real rough time. You're the pastor of the largest church in town, and I just think it would be good if you got with him to maybe help him spiritually. Now, folks, I don't know if you ever have this happen to you or not, but there are times when God enters into my world with a neon sign that challenges whether I believe something or not. You ever had that happen to you? So I preach every Sunday that everybody matters to God. I preach every Sunday that we're to love our enemies, that we're to show grace to everybody. And there in that restaurant at lunch that day with my friend Larry, God put a neon sign in my life saying, do, does everybody really matter to me? Does Tim matter to me and by extension matter to you? Now don't miss this. This is where obedience is a good thing. Obedience is basically faking it until you make it. Obedience is basically doing the right thing even though you don't feel like it because you know it's the right thing and you hope and pray that your feelings follow suit. Amen? And so in that restaurant that day, I looked at my friend Larry and I said, I'd be happy to meet with Tim. <laughs> Hoping that what? That he really wouldn't follow through with it. Two weeks later, my secretary told me that Tim has an appointment with me. About a week later, I met with Tim. The whole week before, I'm in a spiritual wrestling match. The whole week before, I'm, I'm just going to myself, do, do I really believe that everybody matters to God? Do I really believe that this guy matters to God? Should I even bring up what he did to me when I was in fourth grade? You know, kind of Job, hey, remember that time? <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not going to bring that up. <laughs> so he comes into my office, and this guy is big. It actually made me feel good. I forgot how big he was. He's like six foot four, and he's muscular. I hate it when guys my age are in shape. He's muscular. And, 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 and we're sitting there talking and all this, and finally I just said, so what's going on? And, and, and then he, he literally just starts to tear up as he tells me about his life. He tells me about just the alcoholism and his, his, the breakdown in his marriage and the estrangement from the kids and just the job issues. And, and, and I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen, but God just softened my heart right in that moment. 
I, I thought to myself, shame on you, Jamie. Shame on you for hanging on to fourth grade. Shame on you. Forever wondering, does everybody matter to God? Because you got a guy right before you here right now that's a veritable mess, and he needs a huge infusion of God's grace. And I sat there in my office, and I, you guys, you guys all think I'm some wonderful counselor. I'm telling you, I'm not. I sat there in my office, and I just said, you know, the only thing we can do, Tim, is pray. Let's go right now to God in prayer. And we just sat there and prayed for 10, 15, 20 minutes about his life, and then he left on. One more time, God brought home to me that everybody matters to him, and even more so, a great challenge. Does everybody matter to you, Jamie? As a result, even people that have hurt you. Because you see, folks, once we get this, once we understand and really start to believe and feel that everybody matters to God, especially those whom God has put into our sphere of influence, we're ready to apply the positive trait of this, the positive trait that God wants us to capitalize on this with, and it leads us to the mountaintop this morning, and that's this idea of intentionality. So put in sentence form, it goes like this. In the gospel of Jesus, it is revealed that everybody matters to God, and a little intentionality goes a long way. Now some of you are thinking right now, what's that about? Folks, one of the main bottlenecks with the reality that everybody matters to God is that most Christians, as we've seen, truly believe this. I mean, they, they will say that everybody matters to God, but because we're human and fallen and still live in fallen bodies and minds, our actions many times don't follow suit. And that's a problem, as we've seen in this area. And yet the only remedy for this is twofold. And that's one, to re-up once again that everybody truly does matter to God, but then followed up with a little intentionality toward those in our sphere of influence, just a little movement toward them in word and deed, and I'm telling you, it makes all the difference. I love how Bill Hybels uh, says it in his book, A Walk Across the Room. He, he argues that evangelism, which is so daunting for most Christians, is really as simple as a walk across the room. And he says it this way, that all of us have people in our sphere of influence. Remember that phrase two weeks ago, sphere of influence? in which God has put them in our lives, and they don't know Jesus. They have yet to come home to God in faith. Or if they do know the Lord, we have plenty of people that are very far away from Him. And they're all in our sphere of influence. Open your eyes. They're your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, your service providers. They're family members. And what Hybels argues on a symbolic, figurative level is if we could just learn to walk across the room to where they are and engage them in a truth-filled, grace-filled conversation, you'd be shocked how much God enters into that process. So it's a walk across the room that makes or breaks the intentionality factor in reaching out to those in our sphere of influence. And so let me give you an example. This might blow you away. Tom Rayner from LifeWay Research did a national study in 2005 in which he found that 82% of people when surveyed, said that if they were invited by a friend to attend church, they would attend. Does that shock you? 82% of people surveyed, national survey, said that if they were invited by a friend to attend church, they would say yes. I don't take this to mean that, you have, that it's the first invite. It might take multiple invites, but eventually, 82%, four out of five people said they'd say yes to somebody who invited them to go to church. 
And yet this same survey also revealed that only 23% of evangelical Christians that year actually invited a friend to church. Now put that together. You got four to five people that are saying they'd accept an invitation to come to church, but only one in four people, less than that, actually inviting them. And so it's the issue of intentionality. If we would just get a little bit more intentional when it comes to reaching out to those around us, and we haven't even gotten to sharing our faith with them yet, just invite them to church. We might just see God move more in our midst. You guys know me, I'm analytical. I did the math this week on that. And I thought, you know, if just one-sixth of our people, we have about 6,000 people uh, here in worship every week, if just one-sixth of our people, 1,000 of them, were to invite somebody to church over the next few weeks, Mark, you're going to love this, and the four-fifths factor plays out, we'd have 800 visitors just in the next few weeks in our church. 800 people hearing the Word of God clearly taught, being among all of you loving people, and hearing more about God. I mean, we wouldn't have a problem at all reaching our community, but it takes just a little bit of intentionality. And that's just inviting a friend to church. Next week, we're going to talk about clarity. Next week, we're going to talk about how you can share your story and his story, meaning your testimony and the gospel with people. And I don't want to be gimmicky about it, but I'm going to share with you how you can share your faith with others as well as share the gospel in three minutes or less. I really am. Because I think the average Christian is so, uh, you know, turned off to evangelism, so afraid of it, we don't realize what a simple process it is if we could just grab onto a few handles. So next week I'm going to give you some handles to grab onto that hopefully will take the edge off of you sharing a verbal witness with those around you. But here's my point, is that next week will be, it won't make any sense at all if you don't get intentionality. That clarity doesn't help if you and I aren't going to be intentional or walk across the room in reaching out to those around us. And so I want to close this morning by sharing with you a my story. It's a true my story. We just shot it this week. It's of a couple who came to our church here about two years ago, and they became Christians when they came here to Scottsdale Bible Church. And yet it really had less to do with our church. You'll see the humor in that in a minute, because they actually didn't like our church when they first came here. Less to do with our church and more to do with just a little intentionality of a Christ follower who goes to our church that for six years hung in there with this couple and just reached out to them in very appropriate ways. So watch this video, and then I'm going to get back with you. We'll make a few comments on it, and then we'll let you be on your way. Look up here on the screen. If my boss didn't take the time to pray for me, to be kind to me and to be patient with me, my life would be a mess. I'm Steve Smith, this is my wife Ramona. Went in for an interview, um, nice guy, very relaxed, and um, we talked about the job duties and then he mentioned to me that he was a Christian. The interview went well and he said he would like to hire me. So I was excited about that. So I came home, told Steve about um, that he was gonna hire me and I said, but he said he was a Christian man. And um, Steve kind of rolled his eyes and said, well, if he makes you pray or read the Bible during the afternoon, you can quit the job. The next few years um, was great working for John. Um, he would invite us to church, and um, um, at one of the Easter's, he gave me a booklet to read uh, the true meaning about Easter, and 
I didn't really, I didn't even read it. I just stuck it in my drawer and said, okay, well, thank you for the gift. And then the following year, we were going through a, a rough time with my niece. She's four years old and she had brain cancer and they diagnosed her. And within six weeks, weeks she was gone. And I could not even, even understand how a God could take a child like that. I was, um, thought I can control it all, actually, too. I thought I could help my niece. I thought I could help my daughter when she was going through a rough time, and I couldn't even do any of it. And John knew exactly who was in control and what I needed, and he actually said, Ramona, can I pray for you? And at that time, I really needed some just someone to help me um, go through this. And so John sat down, and he prayed with me. And... Um, It was really amazing after I walked out of that room, after he prayed with me. I mean, I could really, at the time I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit, but I could really feel the kind of release and the kind of, ah, oh, the peace. And came home and I told Steve that John prayed with me. And Steve said, how'd you feel about it? And I said, it was great. I really felt the peace. So we came um, to church and, um, I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, the pastor was like screaming. It was cold and I didn't, no one ever really looked at me. It was such a large church. And so I went the next day and I told my boss, well, I went to your church and he was so excited. He goes, oh, praise, praise the Lord. I go, well, don't be praising any Lord yet because I was not excited to be there. But John took the time that day and looked on the internet for other churches. He had a list of churches for me by the time I left work and said, Ramona, just don't give up yet. You know, you just don't buy the first car you jump into. Pastor Jamie did a an altar calling of people that are want to come back home or are coming home the first time to come up to the stage. And I looked over at Steve, I said, we need to do this. We need to um, know about God. We need to know more about him. And he goes, I'm not going up there. You could go up there. And then I just closed my eyes and I was just crying. And then I felt a hand and I, and it was my husband. And he leaned over and he said he was ready to, to accept the Lord. So yeah, the next day and went to work and I told my boss and um, I didn't know how to say it. I just said, we I came home for the first time. He goes, you came home. What are you talking about? And I said, well, the pastor asked the people that wanted to accept God in their life. He goes, you accepted the Lord? <laughs> and he was so excited. He hugged me. He cried with me. And, um, you know, now not only was he my boss, but he was a close friend. And then he became um, a brother in Christ. I got to tell you what's so funny about that story for me is that it was kind of, they, they did a good job of trying to protect me in the video there, but they didn't need to. But the church that she originally visited was the same church that she eventually came to. So there wasn't two churches involved there. Maybe you picked up on that. It was me that was yelling that day. 
And Ramon and I have laughed about it ever since because she said, I got to tell you, the first time I met you, I thought, what an idiot. I'm not coming back to this church. She said, it was just such a turnoff to me. And it wasn't just me. She said, no, maybe we were off that day or something because she felt like I didn't feel like anybody talked to me. It was too big. And, you know, and, and then it was Steve who said to her a few weeks later, you know, we need to go back there. God's doing something at that church. He didn't even know the Lord yet. But he said, we need to go back. And it was in February a few years back that they came. And on that particular Sunday, I'm not sure Ramona still liked me, but here's the cool thing. It doesn't matter. God was working her heart. And when we gave people a chance to receive Christ that day, as you heard her say, she was ready. And now her and Steve are an intimate part of our church. They were in the last service. We introduced them. It's, just, it's been a wonderful thing. But what I love about that story is two things. And don't miss this. One is that it was God working despite what we do or don't do. Did you guys catch, it, catch that? I mean, it's really not about whether everybody likes me or you or our church or our building. Surely that helps at times. But the reality is, is that God was working in Stephen and Ramona's life. He used Scottsdale Bible Church in the process, whether they liked everything or not. God is God. And he's going to work in people's lives. And then the second thing you want, don't want to miss there is the intentionality of her boss, John. Didn't that move you? I mean, year after year, staying in there with Ramona. I mean, hands are attraction. Put in a drawer, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, initially says, I'm a Christian, they roll their eyes. And then in a tender moment says, can I pray for you? And God is there right at that moment. And then just simply directs them to their church, which, again, God worked in that. Again, just a little intentionality. And you'd be amazed what God can do. Just a walk across the room. Next week, we're going to talk about how to be more clear. But today... As you go, here from, to go now from here, simply ask yourself, who is it that God wants you to be more intentional with? Again, we all have our list. Who is it that God wants you to walk across the room toward? It might be your kid that you've been estranged from. It might be another family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a service provider, a fellow student. There's somebody God has in your life that he wants you to be more intentional with, with his grace. And I can't wait to hear the stories that come out of the intentionality we have as we follow God. Why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father God, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that we can't control at all the movement of your spirit. That when Jesus said in John 3 that the wind blows where it will and you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going, and so it is with the spirit of God, what a true statement that is. But Lord, we can't align our lives with just a little bit of intentionality to place ourselves in the path of your grace. And so I pray, God, that as we all, I believe, are the kind of people that want to be on board with what you're doing most intimately in the lives of those around us, God, help us to be just a bit intentional. Lord, help us to pray more for others, to serve them, to reach out to them, as we're going to see next week, to even share a verbal witness with them, to invite them to church. And God, as we take those risky steps of intentionality, big or small, would you empower them so may you work in people's lives as a result. And we'll deflect all the glory to you. We thank you for our time together here. Thanks for our worship, our time in your word. Uh, we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives as we follow and trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together, amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.